Well, after the sermon, we'll sing from hymn 85, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Now thank we all our God. I encourage you to have that passage open. Psalm 31, we'll be working through that this afternoon for our text for this sermon. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2022 is over. And we've entered into 2023. It's been quite a year. There have been many blessings, answered prayers, and positive changes for the better. But it's appropriate to say that there has been a number of difficulties, setbacks, trials and tribulations, sicknesses, and death. One only has to follow the news stories. There's always something to be concerned about, whether it's local news, provincial news, federal news, or international. We see a rise in local crime, more police officers in the last several months losing their lives on the job. There are increases to the cost of living that have made people's lives a little bit more miserable. And then there's the madness of made medical assistance in dying, now being offered to the vulnerable and potentially the mentally ill. And the public is being led to believe in something of a holiness of euthanasia, as if it's some kind of virtue. It's enough to rip your soul apart. Related to this is the lack of care for Canadian veterans. When they plead for help, they're offered death, made. And there are the international stories, of course, the ongoing war in Ukraine, the unrest in Iran. We also lost our Queen, Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. And then there also have been other personal sorrows, the obvious trials of sickness, troubles with old age, also the death of loved ones, the obvious trials to the rest of us and the not-so-obvious ones that are hidden. How can we cope with all of this, the injustice and the troubles that we face? Well, my wife and I, for our closing devotions, have on more than one occasion used this prayer from McKelvey's book, Every Moment Holy. It's entitled, A Liturgy for Those Flooded by Too Much Information. And it goes like this. In a world so wired and interconnected, our anxious hearts are pummeled, pummeled by an endless barrage of troubling news. We're daily aware of more grief, O oh Lord, than we can rightly consider. Of more suffering and scandal than we can respond to. Of more hostility, hatred, horror, and injustice than we can engage with compassion. But you... O oh, Jesus, are not disquieted by such news of cruelty and terror and war. You're neither anxious nor overwhelmed. You carried the full weight of the suffering of a broken world. 
when the cacophony of universal distress unsettles us, remind us that we are but small, finite creatures, never designed to carry the vast abstractions of great burdens, for our arms are too short and our strength is too small. Justice and mercy, healing and redemption are your great labors. Give us then the discernment in the face of troubling news reports. Give us discernment to know when to pray, when to speak out, when to act, and when to simply shut off our screens and our devices and sit quietly in your presence, casting the burdens of this world upon the strong shoulders of the one who's able to bear them up. Yes, we cope by coming to God in prayer regularly, daily. And then our thoughts also turn to Scripture and to the truths to inform us, to correct us, and to train us. And that's the reason for this psalm, the reason why it is written. It's to make us strong in the Lord. David is confident that God loves him and protects him, even though he's in deep trouble. David is facing staggering dangers and hardships, combat, hidden traps, depression, friends rejecting him, threats on his life, persecution, lies, plots against him. And yet the end of the story is God is faithful. He's the rock and the fortress. And therefore we can find hope in the written word. And so our theme for this afternoon is a prayer for strength and protection. We see this in two ways, two points for this afternoon's sermon. First of all, take refuge in the Lord. And then secondly, be strong and wait for the Lord. So first of all, take refuge in the Lord. David begins with a prayer of deep faith, and he pleads with God to rescue him. If you look at verse 1, it says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame in your righteousness. Deliver me. Now, that's a, that's a confession of confidence. That's the basis upon which the rest of the psalm is built because David is seeking God's intervention. He can pray and be brought to shame, not be brought to shame or public disgrace. Why? Because David's life was being upheld by God's righteousness. For it's in Christ alone, you see, that there is no shame. Jesus quoted this psalm, as you may remember, from the cross when he was dying for sin because he trusted God to rescue him and not leave him to shame. And God didn't leave his son in a state of shame. He honored him before the entire world by raising him up from the dead. So that's the basis, the righteousness of God. Christ is the basis of our prayers, of every breath that we take, but he's the basis of our prayers as we come to the Lord. Without him, we'd be lost. 
And then David's faith comes out clearly there in the beginning of the Psalm 2, verses 2 to 4, where he says, Incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they had hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Now David can ask that God be his fortress because he already knew that this was true. He's praying for a greater realization of this truth. Charles Spurgeon said that we should learn from this that we pray to enjoy and experience what we grasp by faith. We can know many things from the Bible, and we can say that we know many things from the Bible. But when we pray with faith, we are asking God to be these things for us personally. So, if that's true, that we're praying for a greater realization of truth, what does it mean to take refuge in God? What does it mean that He is our fortress? Well, at a certain level, that's a, that's a foreign concept to us. We live in a world of modern skyscrapers and ancient fortresses in which people took refuge when they're under attack of assaulting armies is something of the past. Most of us do not need to defend our homes with weapons in the same way that David did. And thus we don't think in terms of, of these of, of taking refuge in God the way that David did. Now, am I right about that? No. That's not, that's not right. To use an illustration, think about the basketball star Michael Jordan. His words that he spoke when he was inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame, a great honor to, for him to receive his words were telling. At the conclusion of his speech, he said, the game of basketball has been everything to me, my refuge, my place I've always gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. And without meaning to, Michael Jordan was using the words of the Psalms. What did he mean? He meant that he drew strength and built stability both emotionally and psychologically on his success in sport. Basketball was his refuge. What is it for you? Where have you gone for stable and secure refuge to a place that will never let you down or disappoint you? Where's the one refuge that you can count on even when you have failed? Well, congregation, it has to be the Lord where we find security in a car accident or an unexpected job transition or an upcoming surgery or a disease when we don't know when we'll get money for tuition or for a medical bill 
or for groceries or rent or mortgage or for retirement. We ask God to be our provider. We ask him to help us be wise and be stewardly and to be content with what he's given to us. He's to be our refuge. That kind of faith is never more crucial than at the moment of departure from this world. And that's what David expresses as well as we look at verse 5. <clears throat> he says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. Now the word spirit there is the very life and breath of a person. His soul. David is convinced that God is able to continue life even when his body dies. That's why Jesus quoted these words when he hung on the cross. It was a powerful declaration of his belief in the resurrection, which is very fitting because Psalm 30, the psalm before this, predicts all of this. It's, it predicts his, his resurrection from the grave. The hope of the resurrection is the heartbeat of this psalm as well. Our lives don't end at death. God's promises extend beyond the grave. The German reformer Martin Luther put it this way. He said, blessed are they who die not only for the Lord as martyrs, not only in the Lord as believers, but likewise with the Lord as breathing forth their lives with those words, into your hands I commit my spirit. And there have been many saints who have actually used these words at their deaths. We think of Stephen, the book of Acts, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the Bohemian preacher John Huss, Martin Luther, Philip Melanchthon. When John Huss was before trial, he was the early light of the Reformation, as he's often referred to, living about 100 years before Martin Luther. He was put to death at the Council of Constance as he was condemned to death. The bishop who was conducting this trial said to him, and now we commit your soul to the devil. His, he, his reply, John Huss calmly replied, saying, I commit my spirit to thy hand, Lord Jesus. Unto thee I commit my spirit, whom thou hast redeemed. And we too are being summoned to seek the Lord and to find him to be our refuge. This isn't just a, a mindless exercise. It affects our our whole being, our emotions. As it says in verse 6, David had no patience with those who worshipped idols. We're tempted to put our trust in the idols of this world. Sometimes we want to have the same kind of fame as the world has, as those from the world, successful people. Sometimes we want their approval. But David put his confidence in the Lord, which is why he could say in verse 7, <clears throat> I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You've known the desires of my heart. He also sought the Lord in a time of crisis when he was 
in despair. And there's a lot here that he speaks about this. The troubles that he was going through. How many of us have found ourselves in a similar time of grief? As he outlines here in in, uh, verses 9 and following. Uh, Verses 10 and 11 says, For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances, those who see me in the street flee from me. It's a picture of pain, which is overwhelming. In a time of crisis, he sought the Lord in prayer. David also places himself in God's care care when he was slandered. That's another thing that he brings out here in verse 13. For I hear the whispering of many, of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Now those words might seem like a bit of an exaggeration, but they do describe the real grief that many do experience when they've been betrayed by their closest friends, when grief and stress like this go on for years. It's, it's debilitating. David experiences in his sorrows pointing to Christ. He, would, he too, here too, we can entrust ourselves to the Lord who was slandered. He too was rejected. As Isaiah 53 says, he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with our grief. May we then do the same by taking God's counsel to heart. Take refuge in the Lord in this coming year congregation. Make the Lord your strength and portion. Do not look to the idols of this world. No, be fortified in the Lord. What leads us to what we see here secondly within this psalm, and that is to be strong and to wait for the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and wait for the Lord. Now, if we learn to make God a refuge, then it will follow that we will be made strong. That's what the last part of the psalm expresses. Uh, Again, verse 24 It says, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. It's a further expression of trust. It's also a whole mindset. It's a thought pattern. It's a way of life. And we can see this mindset of being strong in the Lord in at at least three different ways as we look at the the ending of this, this psalm. One is... His resolution, we could use it a, you could, we could say it as a New Year's resolution for lack of a better term, which is to trust in the Lord. Verse 14 and 15. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. My times are in your hand. Now, when David says that, my times are in your hand, he's not shrugging his shoulders as if he's a laid-back 
surfer saying, you know, whatevs, dude. He's not emptying himself of expectation like a, an Eastern mystic who says, you're sad because you want and do not get. But if you do not want, then you will not be sad, so kill desire. He's not like the fatalistic Muslim who says, Insha Allah, which means, oh, it's in God's hands, but very impersonal. And he's not like the average secular person today who says that he believes in good karma and bad karma. And if there's bad karma, well, then it must have been something exceptionally bad that happened. None of this. No, this is a declaration of truth. Towering declaration of truth. David claims his relationship with God. You are my God, he says. And God will rescue him because of his steadfast love. Verse verse 16 says that. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. And the point that David is making here is God needs to do this in his timing. It's like saying, Lord, rescue me, rescue me when you know that time is best. I would like to see that now, today. But I trust you. If, you have, if, I, have to, if I have to wait till tomorrow or next week, if I have to wait for an email that I'm expecting to get, you know, in six months, it may come later. If I may not receive that exact answer to my prayer that I brought, let me rest in you. You may not rescue me in this life if I go to my grave, still waiting for your promise, but I trust you because my times are in your hand. So much relief can come to us when we have that kind of a trust. And in many ways, saying my times are in your hand is like saying in your hands I commit my spirit. God's hands are the safest place to be. There's no better place to entrust our life and our length of days. That's a great comfort to us if someone we love has been taken too early in our eyes. That's a comfort if our child was born with a problem that will shorten his or her life. By faith we can say that God's hands are the safest place to put the treasure of our earthly lives. And by faith we can say my times are in your hand. By faith we can say into your hands I commit my spirit. And by faith, we can trust God to punish those who do wrong. It does say that as well. We can't ignore that. This is what the psalm is saying to us uh, this afternoon, can we? Verses 17 and 18. We can be confident in our times to leave God's judgment in his hands. And that's what the Word of God counsels us to do. Romans 12 says that 
Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And therefore you will be heaping coals of fire upon his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, David further expresses this mindset of being strong in the Lord by expressing a trust in his protection and his presence. And that's what we see in, as well in verses 18 and 19. Uh, verses 19 and 20, it says, uh, verse 19 says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. God stores up his goodness for his people. Now, as a Christian, you can picture that by, by thinking, of, thinking of a warehouse that is full of, of row after row of goodness. God has blessed us with blessing upon blessing, waiting for his people. And before the eyes of the world, the Lord will bestow that on them. We receive his goodness today too, of course, even in the middle of trouble and anguish. I've seen this, and you probably have seen this as well. I trust you have seen this as well, that Members in the congregation who have endured much trial, much difficulty, even in the midst of hard times, you can have an elderly couple look at one another and say, but the Lord sure has blessed us, hasn't he? They're such sweet spirits. And that's, that's the gift of grace. That's what it does. It makes us see in an undeniable way that we're looked upon by the goodness of God. And that goodness is seen the most by an, another cry coming from the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. The cry of dereliction when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. That was a cry that anticipated the triumphs of Christ. As Jesus thus bore our sins, he shed upon us all the goodness of God. And that leads us to another important thought pattern, the, the summons to praise. The summons to praise. And that's seen, that's seen in verses uh, 22, uh, 21 and 22. It says, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Knowing God's presence, David is now ready to worship as God's grace is upon him. Now again, we have to think here what's going on. When, we're, when, when uh, you're at war, as David often was, you could be under siege. The city could be surrounded and you can't leave it. It can be terrifying to be trapped inside a city. So terrifying that you might begin to question, maybe God doesn't see through the fog of war or the cloud of accusations and deceit. 
But the Lord does see. And he does hear. Just as he sees us today. We may wonder sometimes under the clouds of accusation and deceit still today. Does the Lord see? But he does see. He does know. And he calls us to trust in him. We're in the best place ever. We're in the safest place ever. Because we're in his strong city. And we're called to worship him. And honor him. And that brings us to the final words, uh, verses 23 and 24. Love the Lord, all you his saints. And the Lord preserves the Lord rather preserves the, the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. That's the final thought that we're left with. Trust the Lord at all times. Good times and bad times. Be strong. Wait for the Lord. Your times are in his hand. You can commit your spirit to him. He will raise you up in the same way that he raised up Jesus from the grave. And he will rescue all those who belong to Christ. He has his goodness in store for all the days of your lives, which will last into eternity. Amen.